Hi guys, welcome to episode number 11 of the Studio 7 Fitness Podcast with myself, Michael Lindsay. Uh, very excited today, have a guest coming in um, who is entrepreneur, um, well-traveled adventurer, mountaineer, keynote speaker, author, mentor, coach, um, lots more expedition organizers. So really excited to to get him in. And it's the one and only Pat Falvey, um, really amazing guy who uh, is probably one of the busiest men I've ever come across, um, but very driven, very inspirational. Um, Pat was the first person ever to climb the highest seven summits in the world, or the first Irish person, and only like the 32nd in the world, I think, but the first Irish person to climb the, the highest seven summits in the world. Not once, but twice. Yes, twice. And he was also the leader of the first Irish team to reach the South Pole. He's completed loads of other amazing feats, which we're going to delve into over the course of the next um, hour, maybe. Um, you know, in total, he's done over 150 expeditions. He's um spent time with over 32 tribes all around the world so um i'm happy to have known pat for probably around nine ten years now worked with him as as a strength and condition coach for um for an expedition um or two and um you know grateful to have him as a, as a good friend and but also a mentor um especially the work i'm doing now in regards to speaking and events because uh he's a pro right so um you know learning from the best really so that's really motivating to see for me to see what can be done and what can be achieved when you work hard and you dare to dream. So uh, without further ado, welcome Pat to the Studio 7 Fitness Podcast. Well, thanks Michael. It's absolutely great being here and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, this uh, podcast. Thanks Pat and thanks for coming in. I know you're a very busy man. Um, just to let us and the listeners know where have you been recently? Have you just come back? There's an expedition to Kilimanjaro, was it? Yeah, well I've just been away for the last two months. I was in the war-torn Caucasus between the Caspian and the Black Sea. Um, and I came back from Russia for eight hours, picked up another team and headed off down to Africa to climb Kilimanjaro, the highest freestanding mountain in the world. You know, it's what I love doing. I love been out there with teams of people that have dreams, goals and aspirations. And I think that's the greatest part of my life to feel that at some stage, like I would have influenced other people to achieve their goals, their dreams and their aspirations. That's what makes my job so exciting. That's brilliant. Yeah. And we'll talk about how you've motivated me personally to, to go after my dreams um, a little bit later on. But I wanted to start with this. Actually, I don't know if you remember, but you gave me a copy of your book. I actually have it behind me. Um, I think it was back in the early, probably when I first came to Kalani around 2010, 2011. It was the, the journey to adventure stories I've never thought I would tell or I tell. And that's an interesting title and I'll come back to that. Um, and it's, um, you gave me up in your mountain lodge, I remember. And uh, uh, amazing book, I went through your, your story, which I'm going to delve into slightly. But I just want to read you um, the opening what struck me, especially the opening of the intro. So I'll just read it out here and we can maybe have a little discussion on that. So how many of us dream but never get around to making our dreams a reality? Too many people go through life afraid to live the lives they'd like to live, only to find that one day is too late to do something about it and life has passed them by. But when exactly is too late? So I just found that really, you know, stuck a chord with me um, just personally about you know, it took years and years of a constant mental back and forth about, you know, can I do this? Can I not do this? So um, just discuss that a little bit. And as you, you kind of mentioned it just before I said it about, you know, you're trying to now motivate other people 
Um, why do you feel some people kind of get stuck and, and they don't kind of go on to to achieve things? Well, the greatest reason for people not uh, doing stuff or going out and actually following their dreams is the fear of failure, the fear of ridicule, the fear of what other people think of them. And my whole attitude to that is we're put on planet Earth, you know, for the period of time we're going to live. And that's very little, like it's between zero and 80 years for the average person. And believe it or not, most people, you know, live in a mundane uh, life trapped within a box and they never think of stepping outside the box. But one of the greatest um, books I was given by my father when I was very young was uh, a book from Lawrence of Arabia that talked about people. Because as we speak now, every single person that's listening to this podcast have dreams, goals and aspirations, but most of them don't fulfill them. But in the book it read, um, we all dream, but most dream in the dusty recesses of their mind to wake in the morning to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day may enact a dream with open eyes and make their goals a reality. So what happens is most people only dream in the dusty recesses of their mind and it sticks there. When they wake up in the morning, like, you know, and they think about their dreams, they don't do anything about them. But if you're a person and if you hang around with people that follow their dreams, then you will achieve them. And to me, that's very, very important. And for me, at this point of time in my life, it's about legacy. It's about leaving the knowledge like, you know, what would I tell my 19 year old self or my 25 year old self or my 40 year old self now that I'm in my 60s? And I think that is the gift that I can now give others is the experiences that I've had in relation to achievement and to pass that on. And achievement in everybody that has a dream that are successful, the attributes, it's the attributes are the same within those people. They have passion, vision, focus, self-belief. They get people to have their back. And we mustn't forget that, like, you know, that we need those people to have our back. The people that will say, yes, you can do it. Yes, you're brilliant. Yes, you're fantastic. And that is what drives people on. Yeah, I find that's brilliant. And I talk about that a lot about the you're in a circle and how important that is, because, you know, by the you know the by osmosis really if you're hanging around negative people before you even know it subconsciously you'll become negative as well so um you know what you can find is as you said if you surround yourself with people and i've got maybe three or four core people in my group that you know they're always as you said can have your back they're going to lift you up if there's times where you're down and say you can do this and, and, and keep pushing you and pushing you so i think that's vital and i think if anyone takes anything away from 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 this is to kind of keep that inner circle strong um, and then the other thing you touched on there, which I agree and I talked about as well, is how, you know, is the, the the actual the possibility, the odds of us just being here, sat talking today, being alive is is so huge. And I think we're all here for a reason, like, you know, and some people find it, which is great. Some people are kind of stuck, as I said, or might never find it. So um, it's, it's amazing now for what the work you do and, and how you motivate and kind of create that and maybe clear the fog and say okay you can achieve this and this is this is the way to do it so it's, no it's amazing um and um you know if we can keep pushing that um that that vision and and, and that <clears throat> that kind of audio to people i think it's only gonna gonna benefit them so you know 100 percent agree with that pat um before we go into a little bit about the early and how the old entrepreneur came about when you were younger um just want to talk about um what who like the valdine and how and how he had an impact on your life um um you know that 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 kind of area where you were 
at the time, and we'll go through a little bit of the history, but that point where he had an impact in regards to taking you up onto the mountain. And just to just to explain <clears throat> how he came into your into your life, Pat, a little bit. Well, I suppose I was very lucky throughout my life to have amazing people come into my life. Mm-hmm. And they come into my life because I've allowed them to come in. And what happens with most people, they close them off. Uh, well, Valdine had a very influencing factor in my life. I was 30 years of age, 29 years of mm-hmm. age, actually. I was going through a really bad period of time. I was suffering from depression due to the fact that I was just about to lose my business. The banks were coming after me. I was married with two kids. They tried to take our family home and I had tried to take my own life through suicide. Um, Now, when I say that, I know for a fact, right, that most people, I can never get up on a stage and ask people like, you know, how many people haven't been depressed, right? And I, I'm always amazed at the fact of, you know, the answer, like, you know, I said, people put up their hands who haven't been depressed. And very few people will do that mm-hmm. because most people will suffer from some sort of self-esteem depression or self-esteem lowering and things like that. And we we go into this trend of uh, feeling like that we're not worthy. And in my case, it was the fact that the doctors had given me uh, medication for, uh, you know, depression, clinical depression. But I didn't have clinical depression. And most people, and I'd say most people, most people who are not diagnosed with proper clinical depression have a self-esteem depression. But doctors yet put them on Prozac. Now, the thing to me is that what Val did is he brought me out into the outdoors and he gave me a challenge. The challenge was to climb a small mountain. Now, that could be equally to get fit, you know, to push yourself to that limit, like in what you're doing and, you know, get that, you know, endorphin going, like get that beat and bat a block uh, our neurons actually firing so that it creates, you know, um, the chemical that will make it the happy chemical. So in my case, Val came to me and he said um, into my office, he was the father of one of my secretaries, but I go hill walking. I thought he was a nut. <laughs> like I was a workaholic, not a walkaholic. Yeah. But he actually insisted that I go and I did. And it completely changed my life from the fact that I was on Prozac. I came straight away off it. I knew that the basis of challenge and success was what motivated my inner being. Yeah. And... Uh, my second time on the mountain, uh, believe it or not, I was so excited I told him I was going to climb Mount Everest. And I felt so excited that it had enacted something within me. Now, this could be the same as people like going to the gym and then saying they're going to do a marathon or a cycle or, you know, move on to the mountains or do an Ironman or things like that. Yeah. It's a simple progression. And I believe you need people in your life that will actually jerk you every now and then and people that will have your back. And, you know, throughout my life, and it's a very important aspect of my life, is I've always had people that have had my back. And this is what a lot of people don't realize. There's so many people out there will, especially if you're enthusiastic, people will help, people will give you a hand. Like then there's your family and then there's your friends uh, in relation to helping to have your back. So I'm all the time looking for people that will have loyalty, that will have my back, that will encourage me to go on to do stuff. But in my recent book, which is called The Accidental Rebel, you know, you will see that throughout my life, you'll have always these naysayers. Yeah. These sure. people that will say, "Who, Michael, who do you think you are like, you know, like to think you could open up your own business? And sometimes it can drag you down. The best thing to do is to tell them, go on, piss off. <laughs> yeah. Because of the fact that, you know, you have to follow your dreams and get groups of people around you that believe in you. Yeah. 
But in believing in you, the most important thing is to believe in yourself. Yeah. My grandmother always said, if you think you can, you will. And if you think you can't, you're also right, you won't. Yeah, no, I saw that quote. And I was going to talk about that later on. But no, I totally agree. And, and when I was, you know, said I was going to do it, it was, you know, there was fear from from myself obviously like jumping from employment good salary etc into the, the world of self-employment um and then the other people saying okay um oh it's a bit you know it's a bit dodgy you know you know you've got a good salary here good job um you know i don't know if you should be doing this so you're you're then second guessing and there's and then you've also got the flip side of the fear of okay if it does work how am i going to sustain it how will i maintain it you know this is a fear of sometimes success as well and uh, it's like okay you know okay i can open it but like how am i going to be open a year or two years so that fear is always there but i think it was um eventually got to a point where, okay it's time to jump out of the comfort zone i think i would have had more regrets if someone else took it over made a success of it and i never tried look a lot of businesses fail touch wood i'm still here but it still might so but at least i have no no regrets of actually trying <clears throat> and the vision i had in my own head is and now it's kind of a physical being which is which is um you know you know, great feeling as well. Yeah, well, and I think that's a very important, like, it's about the aspect of, uh, you know, I, I think when I meet people like yourself, it's the, it's the fact of the passion, right? You know, do you know in Ireland, in America, 80% of people don't like where they're working, and yet yeah. they live that whole life stuck in that aspect of life. Uh, in Japan, 92% don't like what they're doing and can you imagine we're on this planet, Eric, for a small period of time and people are in that and that's the most. What I find intriguing about people is when they want something, right? You know, the, the, the requirement for success is want. And my mother gave me a great verse um, years ago. It's about the attributes of how to succeed. And this attribute will work for anybody in life that wants to succeed. You must want it. And these are the attributes. If you want something bad enough, then you have to go out and fight for it. Give up your time and your peace and your sleep for it. If your life seems so lonely and useless without it, but all that you do is you dream and you plan is about it. If gladly, you fret for it, but then you sweat for it. But most of all, you have to go for it. But when you go for it, you go for it with all of your capacity, your strength and tenacity. If you simply go after the things in life that you want, though tired, gaunt and lonely, and if day after day you besiege and beset them, you know what will happen, Michael? You will get them. And even if it's a case that things go wrong, well, then at least you're glad that you have tried. Because the greatest thing uh, with people like is that they don't go after what they want and they never know if they can succeed. So, you know, to me, success is failure, turned inside out. Yeah. And with a silver tint of cloud of doubt, it's also another verse. You can never tell how close you are. It may seem far to be so near. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit because it's when times go tough that you must not quit. And what happens with most people, they quit. And that's the reason why most people fail within the first year of business. Because, you know, failure is a learning experience, not yeah. if you're willing to learn from it. Yeah, I agree. And failure is feedback. I use that quite a lot. And, you know, success as well. I feel as you know, it's, is going from a failure to failure without the the loss of that drive or enthusiasm because as you said a lot of people hit the first roadblock oh i can't do this i'm done do you know whereas if they're okay this you know we're successful people would be like like yourself would be 
okay this quite didn't work out okay I'm gonna go on this path or I'm gonna change direction and you know that you're gonna get there it's just when you know it's no matter of time you know so I love that viewpoint where some people are like oh obviously I can't do it I knew I couldn't do it you know and they'll beat themselves up or they'll you know the the first hurdle I'm done so um I would just want to touch on briefly is on your <clears throat> just how and see it kind of ties in a little bit with excuses um and sometimes people blaming their environment and just from look, looking at your early life pat and growing, growing up on this, the north side of cork and again um you know sometimes you kind of times were, were tough enough um and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit i'm just from my own for example my my own dad for example in the west of mayo probably left school around 14 he was one of 11 <clears throat> um had two jobs seven days a week working just to bring in money for the my granddad was away in England working and stuff like that so it's tough times small house and um uh, and then but you can still make a success and people kind of sometimes blame the environment um and and as you said looking from yourself if you want to touch on that how you you know you went from six years old and you were going door to door with the with the pram I love that story with with your with your nanny or the close relationship with her and that was your first sort of delve into the entrepreneurship so maybe kind of touch on that a little bit and the mindset of of some people using their environment as a bit of a an excuse that oh you know this is where I've come from a poor background or whatever it is and and you know I'm not going to be able to make a success well, I suppose I, in my own uh, life now, I don't accept excuses that the environment has an impact, mm. especially when you get older, when you have responsibility for yourself. Most people take their environment and uh, kind of shadow it with the fact of this is the reason why it didn't work mm. for yeah. me. And then they get very angry. The simple fact about it is it's all about effort. It's about trying your best to be the best that you can be. And even if you're landed back in a situation where you can't get out of it, it's the acceptance of where you are and then making the most of it. Um, of course, yeah, like lots of people would have said, you come from a poor background, like in my book, which is called The Accidental Rebel, my current book. Yeah. Uh, it's all about that. It's about when I was in Gronabraher, people said, who do you think you are? You're a nori. Your father was a bricklayer. You know, who? how dare you to dream? You know, yeah. when, when, when I think the biggest influence was my grandmother, who in her own right, like had a very, very tough time. Her husband left her with six kids when to World War, when he went to World War Two, and then never came back and supported her. She didn't get a penny. So she had to go out and work and she learned to be an entrepreneur, like, you know, coming from that poor background and a subservient wife um, to set up uh, an idea she had of collecting secondhand clothes on the north side of Cork City. And when she got too old, of course, what happened? I became her apprentice. <laughs> but she realized the value of my labor. She used to call me her bar of gold. So she turned around and bought me a pram and she made me run up and down the hilly steps to the houses on the north side of Cork City to collect secondhand clothes. But she did something very fair for me, which I didn't realize at the time. Everything I collected for nothing that she sold for something, she gave me 20 percent. And that's when I got my first learning of uh, collaboration. Because, you know, yeah. and uh, believe it or not, by the time I was 12, and this is in 1969, if people remember how far back that is, I had 750 pounds in the bank. Wow, that's a lot of just, money. Just to relate that to a house, like I couldn't read or write. I had wow. no interest in school, but I was a brilliant salesman. She made me, I probably was the first door-to-door -door salesman in the country, like at my age. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, so like the house at the time, a house at the time would have cost four and a half thousand and I had 750 pounds in the bank. Not from what I thought I earned, but from the collaboration that my grandmother put me into. 
And ever since I've learned about collaboration and about yeah. helping others and about not being greedy, looking for 100% of everything, yeah. but trying to do something. But she instilled with me the confidence that I was, like she used to always tell me, oh, you're brilliant, Pat, you're fantastic, you're my bar of gold. Yeah. And my parents had the same thing. Anything I ever dreamt about, they never stopped me. You know, it's it, it's like... Think they helped you, they encouraged you. They encouraged me, yeah. And I think that's what happens with a lot of parents nowadays or mm. what happens with a lot of people in society. They, You know, we have a terrible habit of trying to put something some people down to have dreams yeah. and sometimes because they dream greater than us you know and and dreams should never ever 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 be put down they should be encouraged and uh, helped if possible my reason for helping people is if they come to me with a passion you can it, it's infectious yeah, like you yeah. know it's, you it's not it that like you, you like you feel it and and that is what actually turns my life on, like, is I have helped thousands of people now all around the world, like, both from my uh, expedition life and from my inspirational speaking. I was speaking on stages up to 3,000 people, like, down to 10 people. Mm. And it's, it's the effect that the philosophies, you know, I don't have any degree. My, my learning is of that of a lifelong learning. Mm. My learning is of the fact that most of success is actually created through common sense, except that nowadays people don't have common sense anymore because they run away from it in fear of, you know, the, the logic of the environment they live in. Instead of actually just going for it, believing in it, yeah. think it out and think the logic. No, it's funny, like literally last week, my last podcast, the episode before this one that's going to go out was was t entitled, there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer, do you know, in a school, it, it was always mm. like, oh, you want out looking out the window over there, she's a dreamer, he's a dreamer. And a lot of the dreamers are the ones that actually change the world we live in. And, and as you said, it was kind of more so now sometimes out of love from the parents, but sometimes from other people, kind of maybe out of just jealousy, whatever it was, but it was the dreams weren't encouraged. It was like, oh, you know, if you want to be I don't know, kid wants to be a footballer or a rugby player. Um, oh, out of every, you know, you know, 2,000, 3,000, and there's only one that makes it and maybe you should do this or, you know, if they wanted to be, I don't know, a national or something, it's all, you know, you know it's very rare, you know, in a very unlikely that's going to happen. So maybe just following this. So as you said, they were dulling down their dreams rather than encouraging. So um, I think that mind shift has to be, um, and look, and what you'll find is, and what I found was, you know, if you even asked me three or four years ago if I was going to be doing, you know, speaking, you know, events on my own and things like that, I would have been not a hope because it was way outside my zone, you know. Um, but it's funny. I remember it well, actually. Yeah, yeah, you, you came to the first one. I've actually got that. I'm going to talk yeah. about that later on. And Pat came to one of my first ones and uh, he said, oh, I'm going to come come down to your talk tonight. Is that all right? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And uh, not only was I nervous doing it in front of 30, 35 odd people, then had Pat, um, a pro at the back and then he was, um, you know, in a good way critiquing and, and it was great points that you came up with at the end and stuff I still use today about how you work the room and how you you know using um, your position and stuff so you know great tips I'm always learning and still on very early days of this but uh, it was just you know it was a sometimes you you have a dream and sometimes the path you go on and then you know in the journey to get there you might find yourself on a different area in a different path so for me, you know, I'm loving the whole, you know, psychology and then neuroscience stuff, that stuff that I was more science-based before. And now, you know, this is now I'm really interested in this side of things. So it is this, you know, it's, it's, they should be encouraged. And um, especially, the, you know, a young age, you always, and we tend to use that 
lose it because it's kind of drummed into us that we should be doing something you know go and get a job now and get yourself secure and get this and that and you know a good pensionable job and all this type of stuff i think it's just kind of drilled into the people. greatest bit of advice that i was ever given is when i just like you know i had dreamed to become a millionaire i had dreamed to be you know good at what i did and i was going about to give it up when i was 17 because i left school at 15 to become a millionaire and i went to my dad and i I was crying and I said, Dad, I'm not a millionaire yet. I'm only 17. But he gave me a great bit of advice that I always pass on to people. Yeah. Right. And that's everyone out there, because as I said, everybody dream. Everybody is dreamers, most in the dusty recesses of their mind. But the advice he gave me, he said, son, you're a dreamer. Dream and dream big. But remember, it's in the following of the dream is where the success lies, not in achieving it. Love that. Let Love achieving that. it be the bonus. And too many people, you know, don't follow the dream. A dream is a goal that you have out in front of you. And that goal is taken out step by step. Yeah. It's like eating an elephant, you know, that in other words, and sometimes you'll eat the elephant and sometimes you won't eat the elephant. But if you get halfway up the elephant, you've eaten half the elephant. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot better than being at his toes. <laughs> so dream and just go after it. And, you know, dreaming is about the ability to change your dreams. Yeah. You know? But, you know, if you if you don't do something and you're in your 80s and I hate these people that are dying in bed and say, oh, I should have done that and I should have done that. It's too fucking late. Yeah. 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 And there's a, um, a lot of clients in regards to, say, my environment, the fitness side, they kind of expect results maybe in a couple of weeks or three weeks, you know, whereas, you know, you never see a mountain that's totally smooth, do you? There's always crevices. There's always kind of caves and inlets. So they see the top of the mountain and they don't see the mountain, if you know what I mean. Um, and there was I went to a conference once and this Jerry Hussey, a psychologist, was there and he said something that stuck with me. He was like a four, someone who's around 40 years old said to him, um, I don't know what it was, whether they wanted to start a business or I can't do that because I'm 40 um, and I think I'm too old to start. And he said something that was quite profound and he said, OK, if you do do it or you don't do it, you'll still be 40. So wouldn't it be better maybe if you're, you're still 40 and you've done it? rather than being 40 and not done it, you know? So you're still going to be the same age either or. So there's never too late. And as you said, it's to get into the, I wish I had people right at the end of your lives. And as you said, there's no time left, really. I have a very, um, there's a very influential uh, piece of my life going on at the moment. I form what we call the Forever Young Club because oh, yeah. it came to that thing about people saying, at 40, am I too old? Well, anyway, I started a club called, like, for 50 to 90-year-olds. And it started because I met a guy at 85 years of age who didn't start hill walking till he was 65 wow. in the foothills of the Himalaya. But the amazing thing is I was coming out of Everest Base Camp in 1991 and I met him and I said, can I talk to you? Because he looked old. He was 85. He came from Wales, started hill walking at 65. And when I went into the tea house to ask him about his life, this woman sat down alongside of me and uh, her name was Jane. And she went away and I said to John, who's this person that's sitting alongside of me? And he said, that's my girlfriend, Pat. <laughs> Well, the amazing thing about that, that girlfriend was 79. Wow. And for 15 years, she planned a trip for him for three months of every year. So the two of them headed off to the Himalaya. So I was thinking to myself, like, it's a 14-day trek to Everest Base Camp, and he's 85, and she's 79. And I said, if that's the case, where were you? If this is the end, where were you before? And he yeah. said, we were, in Nepal, we were in Tibet and in Mongolia. Wow. And that taught me that... You know, it, it, it's all about uh, mentoring, coaching. 
It's about actually, you know, the Forever Young Club is about actually showing other people that it's never too late. Mm -hmm. If you're 85 years of age and you have that spirit in you like to go out and actually jump into the river and go for a swim, it's th that is the type of things that encourage people like us yeah. to dream, to, to feel that we can, like I want to slide into the grave because too many people die like a long lingering death. Hmm. And some of them are dying from the time they're 35, like, and say, I'm too old. Yeah, yeah, that's, and as you said, there's some people, when I heard it once somewhere, where people tend to die, they die full and they should be dying empty, you know, they die full of all this, their dreams and aspirations, but they, they, they never realise them. So, uh, no, I love that in the Forever Club, you know, and you see, <clears throat> excuse me, and you see a lot of, um, you know, older people who kind of, kind of give up when they go past a certain age and then they they don't really do anymore because you know as much walking or training and there's you can do a lot obviously we do lose muscle mass as we get older but you can there is a maintenance there if you keep doing strength training it has huge benefits as you get older and then you see people more bent over and their spine is kind of do you know what do i mean you know the most important thing Mike? yeah mindset oh huge yeah. yeah mindset 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 and of hanging around with people the forever young club is just not a club it's a tribe it's yeah. a tribe of similar mindsetted people that are doing stuff and throughout you know we i i have the academy for young kids like which has freddie t bear it's mindset yeah. you know freddie t bear or little bear stayed with me when i was about to die on mount everest in 19 in 2003 and he came back and he helped me but you know all the children quarter of a million children were going mad they were sad that Freddie didn't get it, but Freddie wasn't. But you know what Freddie did? He came back the next year and he yeah, got to the yeah, summit. Yeah. You know, like he didn't give up. You know, and, and and that's what I actually think that what's happening with people. Okay, if you can't do those hand presses and if this is where you want to go to build strength, yeah. well then fall flat on your face and then get up again. Yeah, you've yeah. done two of them. You've done one minute of them. Do two minutes, do three minutes. Yeah. And you get to a stage where you have enough. You know, setting goals isn't about actually always having something bigger. Yeah. Setting goals is about being happy with the level you're at. And if you're happy at that, that's okay. That's your Everest. That's perfect. That's perfect. And as you said, being self-aware and being more mindful of okay, where I am now, as you said, we do <clears throat> tend to either look too far in the past or too far into the future. And as I said, if you're happy now, you know, you've won. As you said, that's your Everest. And just touching on just talking about Everest, you know, we went through where you were, you know, you, you, you had that dream of being a millionaire by you were early 20s which you which you did um and then as i said there in regards to the recession and the kind of the the the, the bubble burst so to speak in regards to the building and then you went down in short <clears throat> before then val kind of took you for a walk when you got up onto that first man and when you said okay i'm going to climb everest what was that feeling like that um that release or that that feeling okay i'm going to feeling go is this. i had a dream yeah. i had a goal i had something to move forward to yeah did i ever think when I had that, that I would actually go on to become the first person in the world to climb Everest North and South, that little guy yeah. that stood in his six by six box room in Gronabraha in a council house looking over the city and now to have lived with over and experienced over 32 tribes of people, looked into about 16 religions, have opened my mindset. I, I always think of the fact of that little young fella that's grandmother bait into him from a very early age if you think you can you will and to do what you want to do in your life to to go out after it now we there's a whole other aspect which would take ages to go through like yeah. which is the selfishness of this and the cost that you pay for being selfish um 
but it's it, like it's a subject of another matter and probably like people would have to go to my lectures and my presentations to see you know like how yeah. that ended up because yeah i paid a huge cost for being mm. the person that you're now talking to yeah and um my i've got a little bit on, on that later on but um yeah it is it is um and it's a question um that w- has been asked in regards to the mindset of you know these are obviously dangerous and risky things to do so um we'll touch on that in a second because i was actually in the car with you when you got a call from a journalist i'll go i'll touch on that in a little bit this is a while back now <clears throat> so you did your seven summits and just going back from the first one there and as in 94 wasn't it um mount denali denali yeah um and then everest you did from the northeast ridge there 95 um, so going through the seven summits and that you touched on it earlier about your attempt on <clears throat> excuse me in 2003 where you nearly nearly died or you were dying basically um, and you were brought back down you weren't far from the summit then were you Pat but just maybe touching that slightly and then you went back the next year and you know succeeded which is amazing to go back after that near-death experience I suppose yeah well I suppose it comes back to the aspect that like failure isn't a failure until you actually walk away from it it's, yeah. it was a learning curve Simple fact about it is I was up in the dead sun like for over uh, two and a half days. Uh, my oxygen bottle uh, froze. That's under one in 2003. I got pulmonary edema, cerebral edema, thrombosis. You know, it's like a drunken man. Didn't realize that it was happening. Okay. And then I realized that my teammates were behind me. The, and they were, you know, that I knew when I was coming down, they'd have my back. And even though I stumbled, fell... You know, I was in fear of dying. I just kept going, and uh, lo and behold, halfway down the south southeast ridge, um, Pen McGelgy and uh, John McDonald came behind me, and they said, "Come on, Pat, you've got to live," and we got down. But I suppose the thing that after getting down and getting back, one of my teammates, Claire O'Leary, said to me, "She said I didn't give it my best, and I didn't get to the summit. What would you do? Like, you know, will you come back with me?" And I was half fearful. I was about to retire. But I went back and we succeeded. We learned from the mistakes we made. And I went back and had a far better summit the following year when I stood on the top of the world and I hit the highest puck fodder uh, from that top. That was, you know, amazing. And you understand in that patch of ground, it's only the size of a snooker table or a kitchen table, five and a half miles high in the sky. And to put your hand around a teammate and my the unsung heroes, the Sherpas, and to stand high and say, yes, I'm standing on top of the world. Because for a small part, a period of time of our planet, in the history of our planet, mm. you're the highest person on Earth and the closest person to the heavens, which, by the way, one time was at the bottom of the seabed. There's fossils of sea creatures encrusted onto the rocks up there. And you, as an Ori or a little guy from Cork, said, yes, I'm standing on top of the world. And I've had the privilege to stand at the top of the world, which is Mount Everest, yeah. the top of the world on the North Pole, and indeed at the bottom of the world and the top of the bottom of the world, which is the South Pole. And, you know, so the privilege I've had in doing those things in my lifetime to be a places that very few people would have been, you know, just excites me. Even even thinking about it now, I can see myself there. I can feel the passion. I can feel the energy. It's like shoving an electric rod up your backside, <laughs> like, you know, and you're buzzing. And the, so, fe- the feeling, I'd say, is indescri- indescribable. Obviously, you're, you're probably tired as well, but that buzz when you got to the top, I mean, if oh you yeah, could sum it up, it was just... 
like it's heavenly it's, yeah. it's like and, and 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 sometimes you don't know whether you're alive or dead like you think it's like it like it's a surreal it's a surreal feeling. moment yeah, yeah you know like you know i remember one time like that i didn't know whether i was in two-dimensional or one whether i was alive or dead and then the you know, it was like I was looking at myself out there. You connected, and like it was like a buzz, boom. And then you said, "Get the bloody hell out of here!" There's a storm coming off the Bay of Bengal, which actually later killed uh, three people on Mount oh, Everest. Wow! The same that the storm that that came in. Storm, you yeah. you got down before <clears throat> I got down. Yeah, there was fifteen of us reached the summit that day, and only eleven came back. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um, and just we'll talk a little bit later on about um, K two and the summit, etc. And Joe McDonald, we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but uh, and talking about the the mindset and and how it is such a it is a risk, um, and how you know adventurers and mountaineers overcome and you know I think you mentioned it before once how you know very as you said not many people will get that privilege or be able to go to the points of the earth that you know not many people will get to. So is that that kind of drives you on? Does is that kind of there as well, Pat? Or? Well, I suppose what drives me on is my is the ability to learn how to do it, how to be self-sufficient. Uh, that's what gives me the buzz. Mm. The fact that as a human being, and like in the history of our planet and the heroes that I'd have admired, to be in places that my heroes would have once yeah. stood. And, you know, I suppose I've been very lucky in modern day because of the fact that I've had the privilege, like through the speed of travel and through good gear, to have now completed every single expedition that my heroes would have done, and it just—it's just such an honor to to be to to stand in those places, to be in those places, to honor those men. That's amazing, Pat. And when we talk about the South Pole and and talking about your heroes there and. And Shackleton and Crean and and to experience that and I know you did a Beyond Endurance thing which is pretty amazing, um where you just got ordinary people as you said to do extraordinary things and how the ad was ordinary men and women wanted for extraordinary expedition I train you may die, and I got that, two and a half thousand applicants. Okay, it was like a Shackleton ad, and we took everything from a, a fifty-eight year old down to a twenty-year-old student. And we did the biggest crossing ever across South Georgia, which was that of Shackleton and Tom Crean, where they crossed it to save their men. But more than that, then we went on and we took two other ordinary people and we went on the Beyond Endurance expedition to go beyond Shackleton uh, to the South Pole. And that was amazing in itself because it proved that everybody if they have an Everest, if they have a goal and if they want to and they're part of a good team and they have the vision and the focus and the training that anybody can achieve anything yeah. that they wish to do. I watched that video actually, I think it was actually last night again of you guys getting to that and it was amazing. Like even I was getting butterflies looking at it and goosebumps looking at the four of you getting in there and touching the globe, wasn't it? The, yeah. That point and that um, was singing the national anthem. And a straight line with nothing. Yeah. Not a not a hotel, not a bathroom, not anything in conditions that were sometimes down to minus 60 degrees wow. Celsius. We crawled, we skied, we walked, we laughed, we cried, yeah. we farted, <laughs> we coughed. Every emotion. Every single emotion that you could yeah. get was in that expedition. It was absolutely amazing. And when you touched on the training there, Pat, I actually was around, um, 
I remember going around Tommy's Woods with you with two car tyres strapped to the back of us and you were nearly running with it. You were running with them at one stage. You had the harness on and we got round. I think it was like an hour and ten was a good time. I think we got an hour and eight. We just made it. But then you said something then afterwards. You said, I do that for ten hours a day, I think it was, um, with a 100, 150 kg sled behind me. Stopping only every hour, was it, for about 10 minutes to refuel yeah, and have some I, food? The, the amazing thing about this, Mike, is that uh, like as a trainer, you probably know this, yeah. right? Um, the amount of calories I used to have to eat was 9,800 9, I was going to ask you, because it was massive, 9,000. Right, massive, yeah. you know, uh, and you just can't do that. And then, like, we had to eat that amount of uh, calories because you just can't eat it on the ice and then do the training at the same time. Uh yeah, we used like I used to do 18 kilometers a day pulling a tractor tire or four tires or two tires yeah, yeah. around Tommy's Woods here in Killarney, yeah. uh, which was amazing. And the only thing I want to say to people like about success, you know, you have to put the effort in. You know, there's so many people nowadays that actually think that they can succeed. You know, like someone wants to lose 13 yeah. stone, like, you know, yeah. and they think they can do it in two weeks and they lose eight stone and then they 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 lose the focus and then they put it back on again and you know the simple fact was you have to keep trying and the other thing is as you said there you went around Tommy's woods with me right i needed coaches right every single person that wants to succeed every single footballer every single tennis player what do they have a coach so therefore i actually have this thing and now being a coach myself like in the mindset field in the success field in the inspirational field i think everybody that tries to do it without a coach right okay is just making it longer and harder whereas there's nothing like having someone to push you because there'll be times when you won't want to push yourself yeah you know and 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 and, and for me like I remember having a series of coaches, including yourself around me. And then like there was days that I didn't want to do something. You said, Pat, are you coming down to the gym? Or Pat, are you doing yeah, I'll this? come up to you. I'll come up to the oh, lodge yeah, there and we'll chat. do something up there. And it's like, <laughs> oh, like I, I, excuse the expression. I said, oh, fuck, it's coming. And then you start doing it I better it do something here. Yeah, 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 excuse yeah. the No, no, language, it's, well, that's it's the way I felt. Um, but no, I enjoyed those times. And uh, I said, if you ever get a, you know, if you're in Kalani, and I said, Pat does a lot of skills workshops and, and his, his lodge is amazing so it's up the side of Shakin is it Pat? Yeah like you know I have an amazing lodge overlooking the lakes of Killarney on the side of the McKillicuddy Reeks people say to me what do I love most I love being home yeah. I spent for 30 years traveling seven months uh, a year as an explorer and adventure you know all around the world and people still ask me where's the best place in the world and I say Killarney the kingdom <laughs> God created the kingdom after he filled up in up in heaven so i'm just in this transition period in heaven down yeah. here no i've i have friends like i've obviously uh, i'm i'm not from the town you can tell with the accent but um i've been here since 2010 and you know it's i have friends who come over here and they're like you live here like you know it's such a beautiful you know and i'm you know every day i get blown away by being surrounded by such beauty and hills mountains lakes and uh you know there'd be you know, my all my family they're from they're living in Galway and from Mayo, but they love it down here. And and uh, you know, if there's places to settle, you know, I think we're doing all right here. We're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, like we're not going to complain anymore. No, no. Um, we're in preparation for heaven. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. Um, just quickly, you, you mentioned um, Jer there, McDonough, who who help you down when you were, um, you know, in the death zone and you were dying. Um, when we talked about the the uh, the summit, which was the film you were involved in there in two thousand and twelve. 
um, and then it turned into a book in 2013. Um, the reason we touched on it and I spoke about being in the car with you because wasn't to do obviously there was the story of k2 and the disaster there and, and joe unfortunately was was killed in that and he was a good friend of yours and i think you've lost i don't know how many friends i think you mentioned it on another podcast maybe 50 odd people that you've yeah 36 known. directly to the high altitude and about yeah. 50 overall in mountaineering yeah all that gave their uh, and every single one of them because i've had to analyze it to ensure that i don't die myself and yet yeah. i know i could die some that is they were all human error nearly oh really yeah so I said that preparation and that training, I said there's some things you can't account for, but as I said. Yeah, like, and sometimes, like, you know, there was a few accidents um, this year, right, okay, on the mountains. And sometimes we've got to relate this to the fact, you know, as Jerry MacDonald would have said in his own words, sometimes it's only the mountain will know. Yeah, and it's kind of left there. And it's left yeah. there. You know, but it doesn't stop you from continuing on, you know, yeah. but yet at the same time, like, that has for anyone that has so many people that have died on the mountains it is also very very hard for family because of the fact that they that they that love you know that you put yourself at this risk and yeah it's uh, it's something that you know bothers me at times to think that we go out and it's the people that are left after us yeah. that are more affected than ourselves. Yeah, and that was leads us into the point where I was in the car with you. I think we were coming from um, your house into town. And um, you got a call from a journalist while I was in the car. And it was, I think, I can't remember the name of the person, but it was the story where the guy, I think his wife was about to have a child. Do you remember that one? John Delaney. Yeah, and well, he, he went up and he wasn't going to summit, but he... Um, he went, he, he went for it and unfortunately it didn't um he didn't survive and then he got a bit of a backlash then at the time about being selfish etc and this and that and then the, the, the journalist was questioning you on it and you i think you're the go-to i think my dad saw you on tv there about a month or two ago about another tragedy happened and you know they they go to you and you, and you view, view your viewpoint on it i know you touched on the selfishness and stuff when you were a bit younger and you kind of you know you know so maybe just develop that slightly just where where your view is on that well, my view on it is anybody that goes into the death zone, they're going into the death zone. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, when someone comes along afterwards, like, and criticizes somebody else or things like that, um, I think we have to face the fact that anybody that's climbing on the big mountains and going to the death zone, there's a possibility of them dying, and they take that risk. Um, sometimes I think when people try to go in and get the bodies and put other people at risk, I think it's wrong um, because it's simple, like, you know... Uh, if they're in too dangerous of a place, it puts other people uh, in danger. And I've seen this happen where other people would die going and try to rescue other people. Okay. Every single one of my team were told to tell their family they may not come back, uh, that are working in these high altitude areas. It's a very harsh thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also a very hard thing for family to take. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I'd have very strong opinions. Yeah about when you take it on then you should actually be the best that you can be yeah what happens to be fully people, prepared they then. don't put the training in and yeah. they don't put the the, so the, the risk, skills yeah. into it so and the risk it is greater than me absolutely crazy yeah when that happens like i've had cases where people come to me and say well we don't have time to train uh, or to put extra training in oh. you might say did you do fixed rope techniques did you do crevasse rescue did you do ladder crossings and i said no not really like but it'll be okay it's bullshit like you yeah. know like unless that you can do this blindfolded and you're going into places like that and then if you die 
I'm very strong on the fact that, well, you know, yeah. you maybe should have done more training. It would have been less risk if you'd... Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. now you put everybody in... In, in, in your in, team and, and, yeah. At risk, and not alone on your team at risk, but, you know, you affect lots of, like, the families the that family, are left yeah. behind. Yeah, and um, as I said, I think I was, there was a focus group up in your, I remember going up again, there's a focus group you had in your living room, I think, do you remember the, the guys are there who were writing the book? And that was, I think it was my question, went around everybody and my question was, you know, was it one in four people would die doing K2 or, or Everest or one of the two? And, and it was like, you know, that mindset of, okay, we, we, we're stepping on ground that not many people will do. And it's that kind of drive that kind of pushes us on to, to the next summit or the next goal and that um, inner. I want you to do it as always a what's next, but what, what, what's in, uh, intriguing about that is everybody that does it realizes the risks. And sometimes, yeah, when you break the rules, you pay the cost. Yeah, true, true. Okay, we're going to line up a little bit. Um, we, um, you're, you know, a lot of the stuff you do now is your speaking work. And I went and saw you actually, your Accidental Rebel, which is his latest book, Pat's latest book. And he did a, a show in the Cork Opera House. Um, and did you? You might have travelled with it as well. But I went to see you in that amazing like um you know and if you go again uh, if you do it again or if you are doing it you know definitely recommend going to see because visually audio the stories everything was there on stage in the background it was like you were there like you know so and the people i brought to it were like wow this is amazing and they were your they, they were your fans straight away after seeing it um and um in regards you know you spoke with deepak chopra the same stage as him and and these top level uh, speakers um you know is that something that always came natural to you pat um is it something you've kind of learned your craft as you go well i think i've learned the craft as i go in the sense of you know um i just love telling stories i'm a storyteller more so than anything but i'm a storyteller that has a story to tell yeah yeah and that story to tell uh, also has uh, been influenced by my background in other words where dreamers were put down where people where you have to become a rebel like you know the last book as you say like it's called accidental rebel my new show uh which is a, like a play stroke what's the name it was directed by aiden dooley who did tom crean we we were hoping okay. that we could do it together but we can't and i said to aiden i said but like i'm not an actor he says but you're a storyteller and the fact that i but what i've done is i've transferred some of that um those stories into an action play so like I bring the tents, the gear, you know, the stories about like how a fella's penis got stuck in the top of an like a oh, yeah, an aluminium like, bottle, yeah, like and when he pulled, he pulled all the skin away with it. Um, how you actually survive, like you know, and the minutia, the minutia of like if you're a minus sixty degrees Celsius, how do you feel? How does it feel for someone to get frostbite? What does it look like for someone to have their four toes chopped off? Yeah, I remember seeing that picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like and and. and and, and it's really and I, I said to Aiden I said he said Pat you know he says you're the only person in the world that have done this he said I, I like he acts um, an explorer as an actor whereas I tell the story of a, an explorer and an adventurer as a living explorer and adventurer which then relates back to his portrayal which is amazing it's one show you have to go to you know uh, Tom Crean Unsung Hero by okay. Aiden Dooley uh, and I, I, we would have loved to put the two together, but we neither of us have the time, you know, to have you, a two-man yeah. two show. But now we have two shows. He has his show and, and I have, have my show. 
and uh, yeah like and 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 what you get from it like you you get the cold you get the feeling you get the psychology you get the fear you get the pain you get the enjoyment the elation everything is encompassed into that and you see the gear yeah and as i said you had the tent on stage you had all the sled there and as you said it gives some you know that the audience is not just looking at a screen the physical stuff there that you've used and you've been in and i'm sure you've had some wild storms when you've been to some of those tents oh yeah like 100 120 kilometers an hour but most importantly for me is i can relive it you know i don't have to you know write it the same as you know like i just came in here to you tonight yeah you, you just ask a question or I just think of a question. You say, what's it like on top of the world? I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you the I can tell you the coldness of it. I can tell you the nearest to the heavens. I can tell you the energy that actually relates to being in a place that's sacrosanct among all places on the planet on top of the world. Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, you know, you, your previous book, You Have the Power as well. And, and this, the, the Mindset and you do a lot of corporate training as well don't you and i remember you did um really interesting thing there's a weekend where you take them off and you do like scenarios and and i think was it based around um where the boat got yeah like Shackleton's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah journey beyond like i have a beyond endurance then we have meditative weekends yeah then we have like you know one of the greatest ones that i love doing now like is i get people in um to come away with me and they can't take a phone and they can't speak and it could be for three hours. It could be one of my day. Silent and like, you know, the big thing that people have forgotten about is how to stay silent, how to be in the yeah, moment. To how to, still, like, yeah. And that's the reason why mindfulness and, you know, I suppose my greatest uh, learning from that, like is from my uh, Buddhist mentors and again, mentors and coaches uh, from my Buddhist philosophy um, in Nepal that have taught me that it's all life is about being the best that you can be no matter what you're doing and to be in the moment and not to you know get too fussed up about like you know who you are in life but just be the best that you can be yeah um that's brilliant i said um we could we could talk for hours but um what we're going to do we could do another podcast another time but uh, i don't want to keep you here too long because i know you're a busy man but what i'm going to do is i normally finish a guest podcast with three questions okay okay so, i'm gonna fire them at you um you you're you're you're, you're good at answering so it should be fine so number one uh, what scares you, if anything? Um, not planning. Okay. You know, like I do a lot of dangerous stuff. Mm. And what would scare me is to go into something without the knowledge of what I'm going into. Uh, also, um, it scares me to live my life and to die without doing exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. I would hate to go off planet Earth and to think that i was a procrastinator yeah that's brilliant i love that and i i i ditto to that uh, number two is who or what inspires you or inspired you you know just some person or somebody or something that that inspired you over the years well i think the greatest inspiration that i've had was from my grandmother my father and my mother okay. who had to work their freaking ass off right okay to be who they were mm who uh, in turn uh, gave me all the qualities and the attributes that it took to be the person that I am today. Um, I admire my own family for still loving me, uh, even though I have, uh, <laughs> I could say, fucked up on many occasions, yeah, yeah. Uh, being selfish. Uh, they were there, like with the Robert Service poem, like is... 
to be with the man that didn't fit in like it's it the verse goes like this there's a breed of men that don't fit in a breed that can't keep still so they break the heart of kit and kin and they roam the world at will they range the field and they rove the flood and they climb the mountain's crest for theirs is the curse of the gypsy's blood for they didn't know when to rest and then <coughs> where i was i was lucky is um i came back from that in my 50s to realize i still have these amazing people that still love me my kids yeah. uh, my wife who I've been separated from 20 years and uh, my mom and dad and my siblings and it would have gone like this if I had continued and this is what happens with a lot of people and they die lonely lives right yeah. and I have two grandchildren now but if I had continued it would have went like this he has failed he has failed he has missed his chance he has only done things by half now life's been a jolly good joke and I mean now it's time to laugh ha ha he is one of the legions lost he was never meant to win he's a rolling stone and bred in the bone of the man that didn't fit in didn't so fit I chose in. to fit in and hopefully, like, that's when I exit this planet, yeah. that I will exit with a smile on my face and say, I have done the best that I can possibly have done. Yeah. And even though, you know, it, would, it wouldn't have been all good. Yeah, I know. But I hope I can be forgiven. Oh, definitely. And you'll definitely leave a, leave a legacy. And uh, as I said, in the grand scheme of things, relatively known you're not for a huge amount of time, but the impression you who have made on me and still do is huge so I thank you for that and last question and then we'll see we can tell the the listeners where they can find you um on social media etc so is there a, a book books audiobook anything from past or present that you've read or listened to that you like wow it stopped you in your tracks and you're like this is this is good this is great uh, i think the one that's you know i'm not a big reader yeah, you know, yeah. I listened to books and things like that, yeah. but there was one that influenced me in my earlier life: how to make friends and influence people oh, yeah, by Dale yeah. Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. and That's my father gave me that because of the fact I was very ruthless in my earlier years, yeah. and I didn't make a lot of friends. I was, uh, I was fairly ruthless and reckless, and didn't care a lot. And I think after reading that book, it gave me, uh, you know, yeah, a big yeah. change in my uh, mindset about relating to people. That's brilliant. Yeah, excellent book. Um, brilliant. So if the if the people who, you know, might be listening to you and might know a bit about you or haven't um, heard heard about you and your story, where can the best find you on social media, etc.? Well, the best thing is www.pafalvi.com. Yep. Just look up Pafalvi, you know, Irish and Worldwide Adventures on the Facebook. as uh, Pafalvi Explorer on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Pafalvi uh, Explorer, I think. Um, but just you know, like you'll find me if you want to find me. And uh, <laughs> I our philosophy is alive. And you know, look, there's shows going around the country. You know, like there's the Accidental Rebel, Everest, Antarctic, and Beyond Endurance. Then we have all these mindset things. Uh, join the tribe of the Forever Young Club if you're over fifty. Become part of the tribe of. It's free actually. Like so, just get onto the website, sign in there. You get lots of good stuff. Um, as I say, or my main thing is to help people achieve their dreams, goals and aspirations. And if I can do that, I've made my life worthwhile. And I suppose what I have to thank is all the unsung heroes, the people that have followed me, yeah. uh, my parents, my siblings, and in particular, my own family, Brian, Patrick, Marie, and all those friends who have had my back over the years, because without them, 
I wouldn't be how far away I am today. Yep, brilliant. Um, excellent. And thanks so much for coming in, Pat. And I, just, I always try and finish uh, podcasts with a quote. And this one comes from your grandmother. I think you you mentioned it earlier on, but I'd like to finish with this one. So it's from Mary B, is that right? Yeah, Mary B. O'Callan. Mary B. O'Callan. So if you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you won't. So always believe in what you're doing. I think that's amazing. Well, thank you, Mike. It's absolutely a pleasure. And, you know, we've been friends for a long time now. Yeah, thanks very much, thank Pat. You. Appreciate it. And uh, best of luck, continued success in the future. And that's a wrap, guys, on uh, episode 11 of the Studio 7 Fitness Podcast. Um, amazing chat there with Pat. And uh, I'm sure you'll agree um, that, uh, you know, he's got an inspiring story. And it just shows you... Um, what you can do with the right mindset so you know really happy really um really buzzing after that one and i'm sure you are too it's hard not to after speaking to uh to pat so if you did enjoy it if you did like the content um it'd be great if you could share it with your friends or send it to people you think might need it um be great if you give it a rating um on apple Podcasts and the rest and uh yeah so um apparently it's the podcast is trending in kerry which is great um and if we can get it trending more places even better so really appreciate all the support and the feedback i'm getting from it and uh yeah so uh we'll see you on the other side guys we'll see you next week and take care have a good weekend bye bye